What up? Oh, yeah. I missed you too, Sarah. Hey, it's good to be back. Really good to be back. Uh, it's really awesome to have a month off, though. I'm not going to lie. Um, it, it's great to be a part of a church that uh, gives the pastor a month off before he goes nuts, you know? Um, a lot of times pastors go bonkers. Uh, one of the reasons that pastors, goes bon- pastors go bonkers is because they just they don't, they don't have time off. And so I think this is preservation, not just for me, but for us. Um, how many of you have ever noticed that if you go out and uh, you work real hard, like with a shovel, you get some blisters, but if you go out and work real hard with that shovel, the next three or four days you get calluses? You ever notice that? Yeah, you can actually get calluses on your heart, too. And uh, that's one of the reasons that taking a month off was really, really great. Uh, you can be a pastor and end up a really, really hard person. <laughs> so it was really great to have off. Uh, I want to thank the church for giving me that time off. And also, uh, weren't our, weren't our like, fill-in speakers incredible? Yeah, the church is so deep. The church, this church is so healthy. It's one of the really tremendous things about this vineyard in particular is that I can leave and nothing changes. Like, really, we just keep going. So uh, that was incredible. Uh, this month, I spent time uh, sleeping in. I think I slept in almost every single day. Uh, went deer hunting a lot. Saw deer, didn't kill any of them. They were all too small. It's a lot of trouble to gut a deer, um, so I didn't want to shoot anything too small, and I didn't. Uh, also, built my barn. Worked on my barn this month. That was great. And Magnolia and I, we went to New York City for a good bit, and that was incredible. Uh, last night, I flew back home from Charlotte to be a part of Joe Hurchin's wedding. So it's been a whirlwind of a month. I'm physically maybe, maybe just as tired, but on the inside, emotionally, I feel a lot better, if that makes sense. So really good to be back. Everybody good? Yeah. Wasn't that video cool? Yeah, that was a cool thing. Thanks, Hannah. Hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you open up your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 2? It's going to be the first sermon out of our Advent series this year. Uh, and I have a confession to make uh, before we begin the message. Um, wasn't very many years ago that I really hated preaching Christmas sermons. I, I hated it. Um, but about three years ago, I got a, some sort of a breakthrough with Jesus and the Scripture and, and Christmas time. And I have probably been more powerfully shaped by the first couple chapters of Luke and the first couple chapters of Matthew than any other portion of the scripture, maybe in my whole life since then. Um, I think, I think a, such a large part of who the vineyard is these days and uh, the theological understanding that I have and that, and that we're growing in comes directly from these scriptures, the ones that are so familiar and so easy to just kind of do the checkmark thing, like, you know, it's Christmas, like Charlie Brown and we're done. You know, yeah, yeah, Jesus whatever, give me the present. It's really easy to do that with these scriptures, but tucked inside of this story in particular is some of the most important things in the whole Bible. And if you miss it, you miss a huge part of what it means to be a believer, and you miss a huge part of what it means to be a a participant in God's kingdom. I cannot stress enough how important these scriptures are, the ones that are most familiar to us. Uh, God is saying something to us. He's saying something in the whole Bible, but there's There's some things he's putting together, combinations that he's putting together in the birth of Jesus and in the life of Jesus. It's real easy to look right over 
and uh, it's probably most important, probably has most impacted me. I'm not going to lie. There's, I don't know if there's anything that's been bigger for me in the last few years. And I want to read just a few scriptures to you this morning. I want to read seven verses in particular. Chapter 2, we're going to sort of jump in midstream here. Uh, God's already been doing some stuff. He's already sent an angel to Mary. Uh, Joseph has already had an angelic dream saying, don't divorce that woman, you need to keep her. Uh, this is me. Uh, God has already been up to work uh, with uh, John the Baptist and Zechariah. Y'all remember all that, right? God's already doing all sorts of things. And so here's what we get to in chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. It's like a census. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with his wife, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. No place for Jesus. Uh, I want you to do something. You could, if you've got your Bible this morning, I just want you to put your finger on that text. Can you just put your finger on that text? We're gonna, I just want you to understand something here right as we get going. Everything to the left of your finger all the way down to Genesis, was leading up to this one moment. And then everything to the right in your Bible is looking back to this singular moment of Jesus being born in a barn. It's sort of a big deal. And the reason, the reason it's a big deal is because this is the moment that God took on flesh. Theologians call that the Incarnation. You want to learn a good fancy word this morning? There, there it is for you. Incarnation. It means enfleshment. God became a person. He took, on, he took on flesh. He didn't have the appearance of a person. This is really important. Jesus didn't have the appearance of a person. He is a person. You can touch him. How many of you understand that resurrected Jesus in heaven right now has a body? You don't put your hand through Jesus. He's not, he's not a spirit. He's a person. Uh, Jesus still has his scars. This is a really big deal. God is telling us something about what it means to be alive. And so Jesus takes on flesh and he's born in a barn. And it isn't any sort of uh, just fly by night God. Uh, it isn't one of many equally powerful and qualified gods. Uh, one who drew the short end of the straw and had to come down and put a double shift on planet earth. That wasn't who came. That wasn't who came. No, it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was the Alpha and the Omega, it was the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of Gods, the first and the last, the one and the only, the designer of life, the architect, the one whose name is above every other name. That's the one who was born in a barn. Born in a feeding trough. Any of you guys ever been to a, a barn and seen a manger where they feed cattle? You know what's in a manger? Like dust, dirt, bits of hay, and cow snot. That's where Jesus was born. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods, the Alpha, the Omega, the architect, the author of life, the one whose name is above every other name, was born in a cattle trough 
with cow snot and dust and dirt and remnants of hay. And he was wrapped in strips of cloth to two poor Jewish kids who were trying their best, but clearly in way over their heads. See, I've been in the room for four births. I've been in the room for four births at well-equipped medical establishments. And I watched the videos before we went to the births. To be prepared. I'm squeamish, so I needed to get prepared. I needed to see it. Um, And even though we were in well-equipped medical establishments, and even though I had watched the videos and taken the classes and done the breathing and read the books, in the moment, I was ill-prepared. Now imagine Mary and Joseph. No YouTube, no videos, no books. They don't even have their moms and dads with them. She's 16, maybe he's 17. Not a well-equipped medical establishment. In fact, things are pretty dirty. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of gods, the designer of life, the architect, the one whose name is above every other name, was born right there. Not only do I want you to consider Mary and Joseph, I want you to consider Jesus. The Alpha and the Omega, powerless and weak. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about the power of weakness. It's easy to flip right over this moment. It's easy to skip right over it like a rock that's been thrown across the pond that skips so many times and miss the significance of what God is trying to say in the text right here. And one of the things that God is saying in the text right here in these first seven verses, when Jesus is born in the barn, the thing that he is saying is that weakness and frailty and helplessness are not barriers to the coming of God's kingdom. In fact, they may just be ignorable signs that God is really at work. Ignorable signs. That's actually really important. So much of what God is doing is completely ignorable. You can see it if you want, and if you don't want to see it, you won't. God is saying to us here, by sending the Alpha and the Omega, that weakness is one of His favorite ways to establish the kingdom. Frailty, tenderness, no strength. Uh, God is not offended by weakness. Some of you need to write that in your Bible. God is not offended by weakness. You're offended by weakness, and I'm offended by weakness, and people out there are offended by weakness, and your mom and your dad might be offended by weakness, and your brother and your sister are certainly offended by weakness, especially your weakness, but God is not offended by weakness. In fact, that's how He makes His appearance. And God is not put off by frailty. God is not bummed out by powerlessness. Not at all. In fact, one of the things we see right here with Jesus in a barn is that powerlessness and frailty and weakness are some of his favorite starting points. Anybody in the room weak? Frail? Good. I want to read you another scripture. We're not putting any of the scriptures up this morning. 
because I flew in at 2.30 in the morning and we're not quite that with it today. I want to read you a scripture though. This is the way that God likes to work. This is the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians. He's speaking into an argument, but he's making a larger point. Chapter 1, verse 26, he says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, and not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. How does God work? Well, one of his favorite ways to work is in weakness and frailty and in powerlessness. That may come as a surprise to you. And one of the reasons it might come as a surprise to you is because we live in a culture that loves strength. We love strength. And we love winners. And we love the intelligent. And we love the rich. This is, this is one of the, these are the narratives. This is what we love and this is what we look for. Not only that, but if you're a guy in the room, one of the narratives that pro sports is giving America every single day. Pro, I love pro sports. There's nothing wrong with pro sports. It's a great way to spend a Sunday afternoon. But one of the, one of the narratives that pro sports offers the world is this. It doesn't matter what kind of person you are so long as you win. On the flip side, the narrative that pro sports offers us is this. It doesn't matter what kind of person you are if you're losing. You guys remember that guy, Tubby Smith? Yeah. Probably, probably the finest, most upright, in, integrity guy that Kentucky had as a coach. We got him out. Why? He was a loser. Had to go. Right? See, sports is offering us these narratives. Not only, not only is pro sports offering us narratives of our collective values and collective consciousness, but, but even our own government and political movements are offering us narratives. And in America, the thing we value is strength. And the thing we value is the intelligent and the rich. Uh, as an American, uh, we are, everybody in the room, we're, we're in love with capitalism. We're in love with free markets and supply and demand winners and losers yet one of the things that we have failed to imagine is a world where some people can win without others automatically losing now i realize that capitalistic market forces have the appearance of fairness but i'm here to tell you this morning that capitalism isn't completely fair it might be the most fair thing we've figured out so far, but it isn't completely fair. Why is capitalism not completely fair? Well, it's not completely fair because um, there are children who are growing up in abject poverty with no family and no basic understanding of how the world works at all. How many of you understand that, so, that some people are poor and they're poor not because they're lazy and they're on drugs? 
They're actually poor because they grew up in an atmosphere that didn't prepare them to understand how the world works. And so you end up in a system of brokenness that you can't get out of. You don't even know that you're broken. You know you're broken. You don't know how to fix it. Um, How many of you have ever traveled to another country that was significantly poorer than America? Yeah, you get there, and the first thing you, you realize is, is that these people don't even know how to get out. And you can, you can sometimes go to a place that's poorer than America and instantly put your finger on some of the problems. You can, you can talk to some of the people about the problems. It's like you're speaking another language. Oftentimes you are. But it's, it's, it's like you're seeing something that they're completely blind to. Why? Because the world is, is entrenched with systems. Even things like capitalism that seem to be fair are not completely fair because there are certain people who have been losers for so long they don't even have access to winning. They might be living out the only reality they've ever known. Uh, we love strength and power and riches and winning. Um, one of the ways we know that we love riches and power and and winning and strength so much in America is because Donald Trump continually has TV shows. You laugh, but I have a question. How else do you explain someone who is so condescending and arrogant as, as Donald Trump continually be, being put up and made a celebrity? Why? He's a winner. We're willing to put up with his condescending arrogance because he's a winner, right? I'm bringing it up because the trouble is when we attach our fascination with power and strength to the kingdom of God and assume that one equals the other. It's interesting to me. It's interesting to me that Orthodox American Christians who bristle at the notion of evolution on the one hand are so patently Darwinian in our worldviews and theology on the other. Hang with me. You're going to need to think about that a little bit, okay? I want to say it again, because I don't know that everyone in the room got this, and it's really important that you do. It's interesting to me that Orthodox American Christians who bristle at the notion of evolution on the one hand are so patently Darwinian in our worldviews and theology on the other. We're sure that we didn't come from monkeys, yet we hold on to a worldview that says survival of the fittest and mindsets that only say the strong will survive. Boom. Boom. We do so, we do so, and we double down in our Darwinian mindsets when we say things or think things like only being able to see the kingdom of God in positions of power, influence, and wealth. When we can only see the kingdom of God in, in positions of power, influence, and wealth, we become like James and John who asked to sit on the right and the left of Jesus in glory. And Jesus turns around and looks at him and he says, can you drink my cup? Are you willing to be baptized with my baptism? By the way, Jesus' cup is suffering. That's the one he offers for people who are looking for power and influence. When we can only see the kingdom of God in positions of power, influence, and wealth, we miss the baby who's born in a barn, tender, weak, lowly, and common. Power and influence were just a few miles up the road in Jerusalem, but the kingdom of heaven was in a barn. 
power and influence, along with intellect and answers, were also just a few miles up the road in Jerusalem. But two parents, with more questions than answers, were in a stable in Bethlehem with the kingdom of God. How many of you understand that in Jerusalem, where the high priest and the ruling council were, were men who knew that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They, they already knew that. Before Jesus ever came, they knew the answer to the question, where will the Messiah be born? He'll be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. They already knew that. And when word come that, that Messiah had, had, had appeared in the earth, they didn't go to see him. Intellect and answers were a few miles up the road, but the kingdom was in a barn with parents who had more questions than they had answers. Imagine Mary and imagine Joseph. Imagine having one angelic encounter, Mary, and Joseph had an angelic dream. Mary doesn't have sex, becomes pregnant, gives birth to a baby in a barn. Your parents aren't around. You don't know anything about giving birth and you don't know anything about being a doctor and your your firstborn son is in a snot infested trough how many of you understand that you would have some questions that you'd be short on answers well that's where the kingdom of god is yet we equate the kingdom of god with people who have answers and the smartest It's the stunning humility of Jesus. It really, really is. The richest person in the universe for a period of time, completely poor. The smartest person in the universe for a time without one single answer. You understand when Jesus was born, he had no answers. None. He was the answer with no answers. The strongest person in the universe, weak and tender, you know, if you or I were going to overthrow an evil regime, if you or I were going to overthrow an evil regime, we would, we would start in a particular fashion. Get all of our money together. We'd go find the smartest couple people we could find, along with the strongest and the meanest guys that we could find, with the biggest guns and the largest army, and we'd start a war. But when God comes to overthrow an evil regime, he does none of that. It starts in weakness, tenderness, frailty. No answers. Completely ignorable. No marketing. Jesus comes to helpless people, helpless himself, depending upon people who don't even know what they're doing. Jesus is the first person in the whole universe to demonstrate this kind of faith. You know, a lot of times in the church we talk about put your faith in Jesus. 
How many of you understand that Jesus first put his faith in Mary and Joseph, that they would be good parents? What if Mary was a bad mother and refused to nurse her son? Weakness. Jesus not only first loved us, the Bible says that we love because he first loved us, but we have faith because he first had faith. And he first had faith in people who needed to have faith in him. This is bonkers. He came helpless to people who needed his help. He had to be helped by the people who needed his help. And so the message is clear that the kingdom that Jesus is bringing is a different sort of kingdom. You and I, we naturally trust in chariots and horses. That's what the scripture says. Some people trust in chariots, some people trust in horses. You and I, what we naturally do, apart from the Spirit of God, is we trust in chariots and horses. We naturally trust in degrees and knowledge. We trust in degrees and knowledge. We trust in strength and power. But God's kingdom comes in humble weakness. It's a kingdom of peace. We read it this morning. Of the increase of His government and what? And peace, there will be no end. Then in verse 14 in chapter 2, this is what they sang. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace among those with whom He is well pleased. It's as a, uh, I have a friend who put this so brilliantly. Um, Eric Hurchin. Uh, says this, he says, the way the kingdom comes is the kingdom that comes. You need to write that down this morning. I'm being your directive pastor. If you've got a pen or if you've got an iPhone, you need to write that down. This is so important because we have messed this up a lot. As particularly as, uh, as American believers, we have, we have missed the significance of this. The way the kingdom comes is the kingdom that comes. Jesus comes weak, And he comes tender, and he comes without a sword, and without any malice, he comes completely helpless, and that is the kingdom that comes. You can't have a kingdom of peace if you're bringing swords and guns. You can't have a kingdom that includes the weak if you're coming only in your strength. The way the kingdom comes is the kingdom that comes. So what's the point? The point is this. The kingdom is breaking in in the most unexpected places, and the kingdom is growing among the weak. That's where the kingdom of God is growing. It's growing among the weak. Is there anybody here who's weak and helpless? If you are, then there's room for God's kingdom to come and help. If you don't realize, by the way, you are. You may not realize it, but you are. If you cannot see that you're weak and helpless, you won't receive any help. The kingdom is near you if you're weak, if if you feel powerless, Uh, I'll just confess to you, sometimes I feel so weak and so powerless. Uh, One of the ways that I oftentimes feel weak and powerless is I oftentimes feel really weak and really powerless in my own faith and my own uh, ability to just uh, believe really basic things about God. Uh, Now, I've been a believer in Jesus for over two decades, uh, well over two decades, pushing on three decades. and, uh, And after nearly three decades of walking with Jesus, I still sometimes come under great great pressure of unbelief about all sorts of things i won't even go into them because you'd be scandalized you guys have have listened to hundreds of sermons from a pastor who oftentimes struggles with doubt and unbelief what's the point i'm really really weak and god's kingdom has never pushed me out because of sometimes doubt and have trouble believing In fact, what I've experienced is God coming closer to me and closer to me and closer to me, even in my weakness, 
even in my in my inability to sometimes believe really basic things and trust him um He's never pushed me away because of the questions. I have, I have so many questions about so many things. God has never pushed me away. In fact, I, I've most often found him in the questions. Uh, rarely find the answers, always find him. Uh, some, of, some of us feel disqualified because you don't have all the answers. You feel weak, but Jesus is right next to you offering his presence. I hope you understand that Mary and Joseph probably had lots of questions and not many, not many answers when Jesus was born. They had lots of questions, not many answers, but they did have Jesus. That's a parable right there. Lots of questions, not many answers, they had Jesus. What's the, what's the, what's the parable? Lots of questions, not many answers, presence. God is always offering presence. He doesn't always offer answers. He always offers himself. So in the area where you have lots of questions and not many answers, there will be a Jesus there. He's probably small, ignorable, really tender, really weak. Something you have to tend to. God is always offering us himself. When Mary and Joseph had lots of questions and not many answers, they did have Jesus. And by the way, Jesus wasn't saying a thing. <laughs> this is, you know, sometimes we, we do this thing like, you know, uh, you know, God's always talking. Well, God is talking a lot of the times, but sometimes, genuinely, I want to tell you, sometimes God isn't saying anything. But He is there. There's never a time when He isn't there. He may not be saying much. He may be really tiny baby Jesus, can't even say anything. But He is there. You may have questions. You may not have many answers. There will be presence of God in your life. Look for it. Look for it. He's there. Uh, some of us feel ashamed and disqualified because we're weak and our lives are a mess. Uh, some of you in the room right now have secret messes, uh, ones that you haven't told anyone about, ones that you haven't even told your husband or your wife about. Uh, some of us have secret messes, things that we've never mentioned to anyone. We live with tremendous amounts of guilt and shame, the secrets. And others of us have messes that are all too obvious. And I do not want you to miss this. The Son of God was born in a barn. I don't want you to miss this. The Son of God was born in a barn. How many of you understand that there's all kinds of crap in a barn? Jesus is not offended by your crap. He was born in it. Many of you have stalls in your life that are just filled with manure from the floor to the ceiling. Just filled with manure. That's where Jesus was born. He is not offended by your weakness. He is not offended by your junk, by your garbage, by the manure. In fact, that's where he was born. He's there. He's not surprised. Uh, the question, though, is will you tend to him? Will you tend to him? Will you tend to him? Oftentimes what happens is when we get in these places of weakness, when we... Uh, when we become so incredibly aware of the stalls of our life that are filled with just garbage from floor to ceiling. We, we begin to focus only on the garbage. And what ends up happening is, is we, we take our focus off of uh, the, the Jesus who was there. What did Mary and Joseph do? Jesus, born in a barn, full of crap. Mary and Joseph tended to Jesus. This is, this is actually a key for some of you in the room who are struggling. You just got all kinds of struggles. Who knows? I know, there's enough people in this room. Uh, there, we got struggles in this room that make other people's hair stand up on the back of their neck. If you will tend to Jesus, you'll get out of the barn. 
Mary and Joseph didn't stay in the barn. They tended to Jesus and they left. There's a way out. And the way out is to tend to Jesus. The kingdom is inviting us to find Jesus, to tend to him. The kingdom is coming to weakness and in weakness. And somewhere there's the power of God. Uh, Some of us are trapped because we feel so poor and we feel overlooked. Yet God's kingdom grows perfectly in the strangest conditions. Mary and Joseph were not rich. Mary and Joseph were not famous. But they were known in heaven and they were rich in presence. Some of you in the room feel like really overlooked. You just feel like, I get bypassed all the time. Uh, Someone else always gets the favor. Someone else always gets the position. Someone else always gets noticed. Someone else always gets the attaboy. Somebody else always gets the promotion. Someone else always gets to be on stage. Someone else always gets to hold the microphone. Someone else always has the money. Someone else is always growing in favor and influence. And I'm here to tell you, Mary and Joseph had no favor other than God. They had no worldly favor. They were not famous. They had no money, but they had rich in presence. If you're overlooked, great. Embrace it. I'm telling you, embrace being overlooked. God doesn't overlook anyone. Everybody in this room might overlook you. God has not overlooked you. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Anytime the story of Jesus is told, the story of Mary and Joseph must also be told. They were overlooked in their own time, but they are are shouted in eternity. If you're overlooked, embrace it. There's a work of God that only comes in being overlooked. And I'm here to tell you, every single person who will do something significant with Jesus will be overlooked. And if you try to fight for your position, listen now, do not fight for positions. Any any position you have to fight for, you will have to fight to maintain, and it will eventually be taken from you. The way the kingdom comes is the kingdom that comes. The methods you use. This is what God is trying to say to us. The methods you use. It's not just the outcome, it's the method. And so God's kingdom comes to hostile territory with no defense. No defense whatsoever. A baby has no argument. A baby has no fight. And a baby has no tactic, no weapons, no political influence. But peace is a weapon. We need to learn this here in the vineyard. Peace is an actual weapon. You can be overlooked... But peace is a weapon. It's a powerful weapon in the spirit. His government is growing in peaceful places. Where is the government of God growing? It's growing in peaceful places. It's growing where people are willing to not have an argument, but but willing to do things to, to establish peace. And oftentimes, the first thing that has to happen to establish peace is you have to lay down your strength and become weak and look foolish in front of people that you would rather fight with. That's how the kingdom of God comes. The world is full of problems and the world is full of need, but God is calling us to look at the sun and learn his ways. God is calling this community of people to give up our survival of the fittest mindsets and search out the kingdom that grows in humble places and the kingdom that grows in humble people. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, if you live by the sword, you will what? Die by the sword. Again, the kingdom that comes, the way the kingdom comes is the kingdom that comes. Jesus is saying to us here, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. And God's kingdom comes in a baby born in a snot-infested, manure-filled barn. The richest person in the universe in the lowest place. If you want to see the kingdom come, we have to adopt this sort of a, of a mindset and just this sort of a worldview. 
Our methods matter. This is why riches, power, and might are not signs in and of themselves of God's kingdom. Uh, here, here's the other thing I want to say, because some of you are like, sp- your heads are spinning. Uh, I also want to say that poverty is not a sign of God's kingdom, but he, he can exist in both. Poverty is not a plan of God for anyone, but do not be fooled, Americans. Do not be fooled. Power, riches, wealth, and intellect are not signs in and of themselves of God's kingdom. Methods matter. How you become powerful matters. How you become rich matters. How you become knowledgeable and intellectual and influential matters. You don't think I'm telling you the truth? Do you remember in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus is in the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil, right? Y'all remember that story? Jesus is in the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. The devil says, hey, Jesus, you're probably hungry. You've been out here for 40 days. Why don't you just tell those stones to become bread? How many of you understand that Jesus could have told those stones to become bread? But he did not. Why? Methods matter. Methods matter. Uh, The devil says to Jesus, hey, let's go up on this high mountain. Look around. I'll give you all of this if you bow down to me. But Jesus did not. Why? Because he would not win that in that method. See, simply being rich, powerful, and influential is not a sign in and of itself that God's kingdom is growing around you. The way that the kingdom comes is the kingdom that comes. Methods matter. And so I have a a couple questions for us to deal with this morning and hopefully for the rest of the week. You might want to write this down, put it in your notebook or in your phone. You need to ask yourself this week, what kind of kingdom am I partnering with? What kind of kingdom am I partnering with? Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The most powerful person in the whole universe, born as a baby in a barn. That's, that's God's method right there. Am I able to see God at work in weak places? And am I able to partner with him in that? Or would I rather argue? Get another degree. Hold people down with my brain muscles. If you try to hold people down with your brain muscles, eventually you're going to meet somebody with a bigger brain who's going to beat you up. If you, try to, if you try to win influence for God with your guns, eventually you will meet someone with bigger guns and he will shoot you. If you, t- if you try to extend the kingdom of heaven by force, eventually another force bigger than you will come and it will overtake you. What kind of kingdom am I partnering with? What kind of person am I? Secondly, how have we disqualified ourselves? This I think this is so important. How have we disqualified ourselves? All those things that we feel. I mean anybody here feel like you've been disqualified because you're weak? If you've ever felt disqualified because you're weak, you're not. That's where God is trying to work. How many of you feel disqualified because you're poor and you're overlooked? I'm telling you, you're not disqualified. That's where God's working. He's actually working in the place that you're overlooked.
And you know what? The people who are overlooking you may never get it. They may never get it. But that's where God is at work. We need to look at those places. Where, where have I disqualified myself? Where have, I, where have I placed myself on the cultural grid of power, wealth, influence, strength, and intellect? Found myself wanting and then disconnected from what God has lead, is leading me into. If, you have, if anyone in this room has disconnected from the life of God because you lacked power, you lacked wealth, you lacked intellect, you lacked strength, and you lacked moral togetherness. I don't, know any other, I don't know any other way to put it. If you've disqualified yourself because of any of that, you need to go back to that because God has not disqualified you, and you need to find Him there. There's a baby there that you need to tend to. Right there in the manure stall somewhere. Amen? Amen. Amen. Awesome. I think I've stirred up enough today. If we've got a ministry team this morning, why don't you come up? What time is it? Oh, we got time. Good. Nobody's in a hurry, right? Could we just wait on the Lord for a minute? He's here. Tender Jesus is in the house. Yeah. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do a little spiritual discipline this morning. We're just going to wait on the Lord here. Uh, I don't even want you to pray, okay? And you can turn the audio archive off. It's cool. I don't even want you to pray. 